Welcome to another episode of Brew Roots. I'm Erica. And I'm Matt. And this is the podcast that tells you the stories behind your favorite beer. Each week we take a look behind the scenes at the craft beer industry. Hello, this is Aaron Reams from Bentwater Brewing, and you're listening to an episode of Brew Roots. Welcome, Brew Roots listeners. Welcome. We need to come up with a name for our listeners, I think. We do. The Brewbies? Brew Roots? Brewbies? Yeah, I, I don't know. know. What Maybe. do you think, Ryo? I don't know. That kind of reminds me of groupies, and I don't want our listeners to be compared to groupies. Ooh, good point. You know what? <laughs> Whatever. Whatever. But thank you guys for listening. Thank and you. for any first-time listeners, welcome. Welcome. Yeah, so uh, I'm pretty excited for this week's episode. We've got Super pump, a pretty yeah. cool guest. Bentwater Brewing Company. Out of Lynn, Massachusetts. Yep. And Erica, you weren't there. I wasn't, sadly. Uh, this was one of the episodes we recorded with Emily. Ryan was there. Yeah. And Ryan, tell us how cold it was that day. All right. So I got there. I couldn't find you at first. I called you. I'm like, all right, am I in the right spot? I'm at like a pet smart or whatever it is. And then you told me, go around the corner. And then I opened my window and... I was instantly frozen. Yeah, it was so cold. Insta freeze. This is for your the Star Wars nerds out there. It was basically colder than Hoth. Oh, it That's was totally cold. colder than Hoth. You think so? Oh, hundred percent. That Tauntaun would have frozen to death. It, oh, it With you inside of it, you both <laughs> would have frozen. All right, relax on the Star Wars talk, Matt. Come on, bring it back in. And uh, you know what? This is really actually more important. We need your help, Brewers fans. Help. Help us. Erica, how can people help us out there? Give us a five-star review. We need those reviews to get us better interviews, to not get our even, name out there. Not even better interviews. We can just go further. Further, yes. I mean yes. beyond the border? Beyond the beyond. border. Whoa. Be outside of New England. We only have one episode outside of New England, and we want more. We want a lot more. We a want lot it more. And we want it now. That's right. right. That is right. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> so how's everyone's week been? It's been great. Ryan, what about yourself? You've had a busy-ass week. We haven't seen you. Where have you been? busy week. Let's see. I closed an opera. Um, I moved out of my apartment, and now we are here, currently where we are, which is awesome. Um, And then, yeah, grad school's kicking my butt, but hey. God. It is what it is. Erica, what about yourself? What have you done this week? <laughs> Absolutely <I> mean, nothing. <laughs> <laughs> Compared to that, yeah, nothing. Yeah. <laughs> We've seen a lot I've of I've seen other. you yeah, like yeah. every day. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. And uh, I don't know. I coached a competitive marching man this weekend and we placed pretty Ooh, well. Pretty exciting. well. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I'm pretty happy about that. Um, I'm not drinking beer tonight, actually. I'm drinking bourbon. Ryan, what bourbon am I drinking? Uh, it's Bib and Tucker. It's my favorite. It's um, good. It's got notes of vanilla, obviously from the oak barrels, but I like yep. it. Erica, what are you drinking? Yeah, I'm having the Blonde Roast from Night Shift. It is pretty solid. I've had too many of these, but this is a really nice balance of like the blonde and roastiness. Of and that's got that lactose in it, right? Yeah, it has lactose and coffee. And then Ryan's drinking. Um, I am drinking... Um, let's see, Smoke Screen, which is a smoky American brown ale, uh, from Unlawful Assembly from, uh, Plano, Texas. Plano. Plano. Plano, Texas. Plano, Texas. I'm, uh, you know what? It, this should, that should be a running gag of the show. I just can't pronounce anything. Oh, right. yeah. We should Words. really try to get you to say bread of, bread of my, t- bread of my No, almost <laughs> no, obviously I can't say it either. Um, but running gag, a lot of people love it. We have the dessert beer of the dessert week. Dessert beer. Oh, uh, and this one's a special one. I like this one, special. which is no surprise. I like those pastry dessert stouts. Ryan, you want to set the listeners up? 
Yeah, so it's from Pipe Dream Brewing from Londonderry, New Hampshire, and I've had a lot of stuff by them, and I loved every single one. But this one... Deep sigh. I, I have a feeling I am going to dislike a lot. Uh, it's, <laughs> it's a blueberry cobbler sour, sour stout. stout. So it's basically three three beers in one. I've never had a sour stout. Have you had a sour stout? No, no? never. No, I, I don't believe it. They, they've gotten something wrong in there, but mm-hmm. I don't know yet. <laughs> well, Ryan... Um, so anyway. Ryan's already at cracked it just to smell it, and uh, yeah, you should have seen my face. Yes. It was like Erica priceless. trying the bourbon. <laughs> it was priceless. <laughs> All, right, All right. right, take a big gulp, swish it around. Tell us what you think. Oh, swish it around. Oh, no, nah, I'm just God. kidding. Don't swish. It. <laughs> oh yeah. Okay, so Ryan. <laughs> obviously, we don't have video cameras. Ryan did made one of the those. face. Yeah, it's like I made the face. It's like yep. a, a baby trying broccoli for the first time. Like <laughs> it's. It's gross. Aww. Oh, Aww. <laughs> I like it. Tell us why you don't like it, Ryan. It's give us some. You give it constructive words. feedback. Yeah, yeah. All right. Um, it tastes fake and artificial, um, like those cheap pies you get at um, the I don't know Cumbies. Okay, Cumberland Farms. For those who don't know, that's like a local gas station chain. Yeah, um, that's why I think it's gross. Okay, because it tastes like it's from Cumbies. Any redeeming qualities of it? I like the sour. You like what, the sour? The very like short period of time where I taste sour, it's great. But everything else around it, um, I'm not a fan. Well, okay. this is par for the course for Ryan. Ryan yeah. does not. Yeah. This is a disclaimer. Ryan does not like. <laughs> disclaimer. Dessert stouts <laughs> as a rule. So this is, we're trying to find him one that he likes. And yeah. we have failed Twice. again. 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 <sighs> I feel like we're getting closer though. But don't worry. Next week we'll try. We'll again. get him. We'll, we'll get, get him. him. We've searched far and wide for... <laughs> The exotic dessert. If stuff. you guys have any ideas, please, yeah, please tell us. Let we me need know. some need some ideas here. Yeah, um, but we have some pretty good news. We have a new sponsor this week. New Erica, sponsor. Tell us about that. All right, it's beer and wine hobby. They're a brewery, brewing hmm, homebrew hobby shop. That's how you should put it. Yeah, so you can do beer, wine, brewing, cheese yeah. too, right? Yeah. Cider. Uh, we also are doing curing stuff now, too. Whoa. Yeah, we're really branching out. It's pretty cool. But anyways, go to our website, beer-wine.com. Put in the code BREWROOTS, and you get 10% off your next order. And that order can be picked up in the store. That day. That's Which is pretty the awesome. The same day? The, the same, same day. day. What? Now, obviously, if you are outside of Massachusetts, uh, it will not get shipped to you same day. Yeah. But very reasonable shipping, and it will come yeah. to you within... Uh, appropriate a shipping time or whatever yeah exactly yeah um so awesome really excited to have uh beer and wine hobby on yep. board with us uh we're gonna hear more from them and we're probably gonna be doing an interview with them pretty soon coming up yep which is very exciting very exciting yeah and um i do unfortunately have some bad news um this is really not even bad news it's just really really sad it is um so the brewery manager unfortunately jack's abbey has passed away his name is herb lindvet he left behind some young kids and a wife. Um, He has been at Jack's Abbey since 2013. And the family set up a GoFundMe page. So we're advertising the GoFundMe page to hopefully raise some money for the family. Um, Help them out. Yeah, in this awful time. I can't even imagine what that family's going through. Uh, When I first saw the news, you know, we're pretty connected online and we saw posts on Instagram, uh, like tributes and stuff. So we've interviewed Jack's Abbey. The beer that I love from them has... He's had a hand in, so really, really sad. Um, 
the GoFundMe page is going to be in our bio. Um, Jack's Abbey also is brewing a beer. We got um, we we reached out to Jack's Abbey, who confirmed that they are going to be brewing a beer, and all the proceeds from the beer will be going to the family as well. Um, that is more information is to be determined. Hopefully, by the time this episode even airs, there's going to be more about that. So. If you can contribute to that, GoFundMe. Every little bit helps. That would be awesome. $5, anything and, uh, you can do. I'm, I'm excited to have that beer. Um, yeah. And, and contribute that way as well. So uh, sorry to like dampen the mood for our Brewers fans, but this is important. This one kind of hit home. Uh, every the industry episode, helps out each other. Yeah, you know, and so. every, every interview we talk about community and yep. how it's a small community. And a lot of people were affected by this. You know, we saw Brienne from, Night, yeah. from Notch. Everyone was making posts about Herb, so pretty sad stuff. On a broader note, we have a new format for all of you listeners. Yeah, and we've collected a lot of user data over the months. We've heard your feedback. We are deciding to do something a little bit different. Erica, you want to share what we're going to be doing? Yeah, we're doing three interviews a month and one content episode. That's actually going to help us out immensely. It's Content be episodes huge. <laughs> are so hard to do, and they are. We love we <laughs> love the interv- we love the interviews because we get to meet new people and hear new stories. Yeah, and we know you love them too. So look out for that. We're still going to do one content a month, but that allows us to even have a better content episode. Yeah. So it's not so. I'm going to say the thrown word forced. Together. I thought I felt like it yeah. forced or thrown together. Yeah. yeah. And I know Ryan agrees with that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. See, he agrees. And um, it's a lot. It's just, it's a lot to go through. You know, like I can do the interview separate. Yes. Than the recording session we have here. Mm. So content episodes are just, it's a lot. Yeah. So we're really excited to make that announcement here on Brewers tonight. Um, and we hope you are too. Yeah. I mean, more co- more episodes, like more interviews. More it's going to be more breweries. Really fun. Many right. more breweries. I'm excited. Is that what I think it is? Did you hear that? It's here. I think it's here. Oh my god, it's here! Shirts on Tap is the original monthly club for craft beer fans. Every month, they team up with a local brewery and collaborate on a sweet custom shirt design and send it to their members along with coupons, stickers, and brewery bios, and more. With breweries featured in six U.S. cities and more cities on the way, you'll have no shortage of options each month. Sign up today at shirtsontap.com and use promo code BREWROOTS to get your first box for just $5. And remember, drink better beer, wear better shirts. And now on to the episode with our friends Bent Water from Lynn, Massachusetts. All right, so we are here in Lynn, Massachusetts on legitimately the coldest day. I know I say that quite often, that what feels like the coldest day, but what is it, two degrees out? Yes. <laughs> and, uh, it's right around yeah. there. And by that description, where are we? Please tell us. Uh, so we're about eight miles north of Boston. Uh, we're about uh, three quarters of a mile from the ocean, um, <clears throat> right off the Linway. And if that's not enough of a clue for you, we are at what brewery? Bentwater Brewing. Brewing. <laughs> Excellent. Awesome. And we are joined here today with... Hi, my name is Aaron Reams, uh, president and co-founder. Uh, I'm Adam Denigola. I'm the head brewer. Uh, Zachary Castro, brewer. Excellent. And uh, we always ask this question to start off the podcast. We know who you are, your roles here, but what's your first memory of beer? Uh, 
So first memory of beer actually goes way, way back. But uh, and that's usually outside uh, family gatherings. Uh, and it was actually a very famous very terrible beer called Joe Bell, uh, if you remember that. Uh, that was what my uh, great uncle used to, to drink, and that was the, the common beer in the middle of Ohio. Uh, going way back, my first memory of beer is my dad giving me sips of Coors Light when we mowed the lawn when I was a little kid, riding on his lap on the riding lawnmower. First memory of beer for me is going to be pretty much the same. Young Miller Lite. My grandmother's all Miller, the rest of the family's Coors. Big point of contention. <laughs> Where did you guys grow up? Tell me a little bit about where you're from. Um, so I'm uh, from Ohio, Friday Night Lights town, Bell Fountain. I uh, actually <clears throat> did a lot of research, uh, but also bailed hay and uh, played football. My wife actually was a cheerleader at the high school that we went to, so I've known her for an incredibly long time. Uh, I'm actually from Farmington, Connecticut, so I'm a transplant up this way. I moved up here about five years ago at this point. Um, to start not working here, but working in beer. Uh, but kind of the same as Aaron. I mean, I grew up playing football, lacrosse, that kind of stuff. So, yeah. I'm from Gloucester. Apparently, I'm the only really <laughs> local one. Uh, fishing town. My dad worked on the wharf. And, yeah, kind of wound up getting into beer just from working in the restaurant industry in Salem and getting more into the beer side of it than the food side. Mm -hmm. And how about for you guys? What was your original plan. Usually when we talk to people, their plan A wasn't opening a brewery and brewing beer. So what came first? Um, actually, so for me, science came first. And um, so there was two different um, situations in my life that actually brought me towards beer. So uh, being in Columbus, Ohio, I'm an Ohio State Buckeye. Um, <clears throat> and so you have a huge Anheuser-Busch facility there. And when I was in my MBA program, I was first introduced to one of the managers. He actually ran the third shift. They do millions of uh, barrels a year. And he was the one that actually suggested with a science background, molecular genetics, to maybe go into to brewing. And that was the end of it. That was in the 90s. And then fast forward to 2005, and I was actually at uh, uh, Case Western Reserve, 100-year anniversary for SAE, and Bill Cherry from Switchback brought down switch kegs of switchback ale and that was my first introduction to really a successful entrepreneurial spirit he had uh, basically started three years prior uh, the beer was fantastic i think the best craft beer prior to that that i had been exposed to was yingling um, and so from there that just started a catalyst and the gears turning which led to where we're at today before we get too much into ben water uh tell us about like a little bit of the history before into Bentwater. You said you worked elsewhere, but where did you guys work before? Um, when I graduated college, I worked at an insurance company. Uh, I was an accountant. <laughs> um, I was going part-time to a master's program while I was working full-time. Uh, I was doing that about four years until I just really got miserable, you know, sitting in a cube all day. Uh, my girlfriend at the time, now wife, uh, also hated her job. <laughs> so she quit her job and actually ended up getting a job at the Peabody Essex Museum. So we moved up here and uh, I decided I wanted to do beer. I'd been homebrewing at that point for probably about eight years. Um, and I just, you know, decided to make the plunge. And I started actually working up at Newburyport Brewing Company. Uh, I was there for a little while. Then I was working in Maine for a little bit. And then when these guys are opening, we were living in Salem. So I was like, that's a little better commute than driving up to Maine every day. <laughs> so I applied here and got a job. Yeah. Uh, prior to this, I was working for Notch Brewing in Salem. Um, 
getting into beer was just sort of a prior to the beer industry, I was a history major at Salem State studying medieval European history and I was doing historical reenactment, doing Viking Age stuff. A uh, lot of mead and ale drinking goes along with that. So it kind of just started as a side hobby that then became the primary hobby because it involves wearing less wool. Um, you could certainly use the wool today, though. No, that's true. Seriously. Um, then started working for Bentwater in March, and things have been going really great since. Can you remember the moment when your hobby became a career? Like, would you remember distinctly sitting at a desk saying, like, fuck this, I want to brew beer? Um, maybe not a fuck this moment, but I definitely... Uh, while I was in college, I was volunteering at a brewery down in Connecticut called Tom's Hooker. So I definitely had like been dipping my toes a little bit into the craft beer industry at that point, you know, um, drinking craft beer in college and that kind of thing. Uh, it, it was just sort of like, a, I mean, I was halfway through a master's and I was just like, I'm not, <laughs> I really don't want to do this anymore, I guess. This, I don't want to try to be someone I'm not, so to speak. And so I just kind of went for it. It seemed to work out so far, so. So most of the people that we talk to obviously come from a completely different background than brewing almost 100% of the time. But I think that they take something with them into the brewing industry, some kind of non-transferable skill. So what do you think is your non-transferable, or sorry, your, your transferable skill that you can bring into this industry? From my standpoint, it's really uh, quality assurance, quality control, science, so, um, again, I started in the labs at a very young age at the Ohio State University and uh, been involved in biotech for several decades. And uh, attention to detail, uh, consistency, you know, um, <clears throat> focus on, you know, uh, everything that will make sure that you end up with a beer that you have in your mind and that you can do it over and over again. So, um, you know, FDA really has zero tolerance for something that's going to go into a human body um, <laughs> to be adulterated. Um, and so we've really, especially on the drug side, so we take that application and really apply it to what we're trying to do here as well. Mm -hmm. uh, mine's sort of along the same line, attention to detail. I mean, you can't keep books without paying attention to details. And uh, I think that really goes along with what he was saying, just about making sure everything's in order, everything's done right the, right, uh, the first time and consistently done the right way. And I think that's a super important thing that uh, we pay a lot of attention to here. Uh, can say the same thing coming from background of working in restaurants for years and whatnot, definitely having to focus on keeping things clean. Definitely not to a degree that a brewery has to. Not a lot of restaurants dealing with like microbes and whatnot. Um, and then just from an interest in history, I mean, spend all of my time not at work reading 1800s brewing records and like in a time when beer is all about innovation, kind of bringing back old things like craft breweries starting brewing fooders and things like that now, kind of a old things are becoming new again. And I think that's really cool from like a historical interest standpoint. You guys definitely practice what you preach. I think you have one of the more consistent products on the market. Thank you. Oh, thank you. Um, and that's in a world where we are seeing some craft breweries kind of take a more wine approach. Um, it's a refreshing thing to see. I like that I can get goat on tap, I can get it in the brewery, I can get it in a can, and it pretty much tastes the same. It's a big uh, feather in your cap yeah. Thank you, you know, Thank as, you. as a brewery. Uh, so congratulations on that. Before we get too far into the present, um, Benwater had a pretty interesting business model, in my opinion. You guys went 
straight to market pretty soon. Was that because you didn't have a tap room in place or what was the model behind that? Um, actually, it was from a 2013 conversation with the founders of Ballast Point. And they basically said that if your liquid's good and you believe in the liquid, then fight the, the hard fight. Uh, go out into the marketplace and, you know, try to win tap lines, win shelf space. If you want to be, you know, if you have aspirations of growing in size and becoming meaningful, you have to be able to win a local market. So build a brewery for manufacturing. The tap room is secondary to that. So it, they basically said, you know, determine whether you make want to make money out of the front door or the back door. And so it really, you know, um, formed the model that we had to go out aggressively and try to basically deliver the message, um, let people see the passion, uh, allow us to, to interact with customers on a regular basis, and then, you know, fight against the, you know, large distributors, small distributors, et cetera, for shelf space and, uh, and you know, limited tap lines in, in certain areas down in, in Boston. You started off with not too flashy of can art at first. Um, you've migrated to pretty awesome can art. Um, how was it trying to compete against the domestics during that time? You know, what year did you say? 2013 is when you were competing? Or? Uh, no, we didn't uh, launch really until December of 2015. 2015. So it was 2016. So yeah, we're three years young. So competing against those more domestic um, and having six packs, how did you guys compete? What was the business model at that point? Uh, you know, really the labels get people to take it off the shelf. I mean, I... You know, thought that we have a very differentiated label from right out of the gate. Um, and really, the liquid keeps people coming back for more. Um, and, you know, the geometric shapes, everything ties back into the science background, whether it's the molecular hop or, you know, just bent water. It's, you know, in kind of the science behind, you know, water. But the goal with the can labels was to hopefully, you know, have them look like they're moving on the shelves based on the colors and the, the geographic or, um, the geometric orientation of the patterns. Yeah, I have to say, I did pick you guys up in a store without really knowing that you were local, just because the cans looked kind of flashy and cool. And then I found out after the fact that you were based out of mass. But I'm curious to know kind of what went into the thought behind it. Do you guys work with an artist? Like, where do you get the art from? And Where's the inspiration? Yeah, so one of the other co-founders is Mike Shaughnessy, um, and he happens to, to work as a creative director for an advertising agency, and he's worked with a lot of you know large brand, uh, large um, name brands that are national, and uh, he really wanted to make sure that we had something that was differentiated relative to what was you know currently on the shelves. Mm -hmm. That's great. I want to talk a little bit about the product. So we're talking to the head brewer, right? Yes. Are you, how do you, what's your process for coming up with a recipe and how do you try to kind of put your own twist on things? Uh, well, so here we do a very collaborative um, creation process. It's not just me and Zach, the people making the beer. You know, it's Aaron. Aaron knows how to brew. Aaron's a very knowledgeable brewer. Um, and then it's also, you know, the sales team and our marketing team coming in with what, you know, they're seeing in the market and then coming to me with being like, we need to do something like this. And then we kind of sit down and decide how best to approach that uh, you know, idea of what we need to hit. Um, from there, I mean, it's a lot relying on what I've brewed before, what Zach's brewed before, what Aaron's done before, uh, experience of hops, experience of grains. I mean, it's kind of, you know, basically work together to come with, a, with the best product we can possibly yeah. put out. 
Do you ever solicit feedback from people like customers, friends, family? So yeah, when we were developing Sluice Juice, we did I think eight or nine test batches that we released in the tap room. We actually handed it out with a questionnaire, um, and you know had a couple quick questions, just like what do you like about this? What do you like about this? What? And I think it had descriptors that you could circle on the bottom of it, just kind of like what do you think are the best descriptors of this beer, and uh, that ended up going back through our process and ended up with what we have on tap today. What's some of the best feedback you've gotten that maybe has impacted a product? Very critical feedback, right? Um, you know, if I think about just some of the conversations that I've had, you know, early on with, you know, what I consider, you know, industry influencers, whether it's the Alstroms, et cetera, in those early days and just talking with Jason, for example, about really focusing on the flagships and, and dialing those in, um, it's just a constant improvement. So, I mean, we're looking for, you know, very critical feedback. I mean, it's a highly competitive market. Uh, we want to strive for, you know, the best. So, you know, I, I think, you know, critical feedback is, is always the best. And I always think it is a challenge to get critical feedback, like truthful feedback from people, because no one's going to tell you that your beer sucks to your face. Right. So, yeah, I absolutely. Mean, or even just like point out flaws that you, you may not think is a flaw, but, you know, they personally don't like. And then at the end of the day, too, everyone has a personal preference in what they're drinking. So it is a difficult line to figure, you know, make a beer that appeals to a lot of people, but then also take that feedback in and be like, is this you know, useful information that I'm getting back? Yeah. Right now in the beer industry, when people have such strong opinions one way or another on what they like, what for one person is like a perfect, don't change anything, someone may have some critical feedback on, but I also feel like in the beer industry, it, like you were saying, people, we're all kind of in this together. And if you go up to another brewer with one of your beers and say, beat brutally honest with me they're gonna say oh it's great man it's awesome and it's it's, uh, it's refreshing to hear people say like i think you could work on blank because then you're kind of moving forward with that product how do you guys filter the noise that's somewhat sometimes the unta the untapped app you mentioned yourself zach that you read a description of goat which is a bock as a fruity ipa which it clearly is not <laughs> a, a fruity ipa um but how does sometimes you can leverage it in the other direction too? Like there's going to be some positive noise and then some, some maybe nonsensical noise. Those are my words, not Ben Waters' noise. Words. Whether they read it as a fruity IPA or not, did they like it? But yeah, uh, yeah it's kind of the yeah. important part. That's the important the part. Um, <laughs> you can, it's you can a whatever you think IPA about it as you, long as you sure. like it. <laughs> For, uh, for a long time, when when I first started working here, I was working at craft beer cellar in Swampskit as well, and uh, would like kind of would solicit opinions from a lot of people and most of it was was very positive but there were a lot of kind of like it, it, it definitely is a lot of it is noise that you kind of filter out where people don't realize what goes into making beer so you kind of have to get past some of that of someone being frustrated when a certain beer isn't available because they don't know that those hops aren't available or something like that is but yeah and I mean too it's like there are definitely trends going on in beer right now that it, you can chase trends all you want. And I think, you know, some of them maybe will stick around, some of them won't. And I think that we just need to keep, you know, doing what we do best and then, you know, on the side, check those trends out. But at the end of the day, I don't, you just gotta stay true to what we're doing here. Yeah, yeah and I think that's the, the biggest thing is to having, a, you know, a very clearly defined path, knowing exactly where you wanna go. And then uh, just making sure that you're prosecuting against that goal. Uh, every day and if you're not taking a step forward to achieve that goal then you're taking a step back so um, you know again 
noise is something that we can actually learn from that tells us how to, you know, that we need to improve our messaging then. If mm -hmm. something is true to the style that we want um, or it tastes the way that we want it to taste, then we have to do a better job of making sure that we message that, touch the customers more frequently, do more brand ambassador events, whatever it is. Uh, you know, the, that that's really the, <clears throat> the conclusion is when we do have noise is that we just need to improve some other aspect of the business possibly. So when it comes to a beer that comes out that's a little trendier, that you're seeing a lot more breweries coming out with a certain style, like fruit IPAs or hazy IPAs or whatever it be, is it more of a question for you as, you know, the proprietor? Like, is this, <coughs> would brewing this be a strategic position forward for us? Or is this going to set us back and just mitigating the risk of, you know, staying sure. up on the trends, but maybe rejecting a few because. No, so actually, uh, and I may be a little off on this, but I think in wine, for example, if you look at just the base um, compounds that come out of wine, there's about 440. If you just look at, you know, the base um, ingredients for beer, there's about, uh, there's over 2,000 different compounds, and that's even before adjuncts. So I think we're really at the beginning of exploring a lot of different styles and options. Um, and, you know, if I, if I think about just the, you know, an average cost per ounce of wine versus beer. I'm not quite sure why there's a, a delta, right? Um, there is. <clears throat> um, you're not going to go and see, you know, uh, multi-thousand dollar bottles of, of beer, you know, necessarily the way you will with some, you know, wines. And so, um, you know, from my standpoint, love IPAs, right? Uh, and so if I think about New England style IPAs, you know, I was, the, the first homebrew batch of sluice juice was, you know, basically something that I brewed. It was something that I, you know, couldn't find uh, exactly. Uh, and so, you know, basically thought through what we wanted to taste like. And I think we came fairly, you know, close and, uh, when we did the homebrew batch. And then it was really, you know, Adam uh, and the team working to make sure that we could scale it up and mimic that, which was, you know, easier said than done. Yeah. yeah, there's definitely, because that was a half barrel batch that he did, you know, 15 gallons. and Seems like a good approach to do a really small batch. Real small. Yeah, it definitely is. But it, there's a huge scaling difference when you go, you know, our small pilot systems, three and a half barrels. And it's that jump from half barrel. There is a lot. I, I don't know exactly what, there is a lot to deal with. And I don't know exactly why it's so much different, but it definitely has to do, I think, with, you know, hop contact time, especially for the New England IPA. Yeah, just, yeah, utilization and just like dry hops are so much more potent in such a smaller amount like that. So it's like really trying to find you know, where that sweet spot is, the bigger and bigger you go. Well, mm -hmm. you always hear people like homebrewers talking about like, oh, my New England IPAs are better than so-and-so's or such and such. And so, yeah, well, when you're doing five, 10 gallons, you can dry hop at nine pounds per <coughs> barrel, whereas a brewery doing 30 barrels, that, you know, isn't really galaxy real. isn't realistic. It, yeah. it, it adds up quick. So you kind of have to figure out how to make that, figuring out how to make that work on like a like on scaling scale. up to that is half of the hard part. Like making a beer that tastes great is awesome, but making it consistent and scalable is a whole other side of things. It goes back to the science theme. Yeah, sure. Science, exactly. Right? Um, but going back to the trends, uh, we actually are brewing a brewed IPA. <laughs> um, it's, it's interesting. I, I mean, we, I had never really had one before. Uh, Zach did a small test batch of one, and I had never actually had one. I've only read descriptions of them. And I, it seems interesting. I, I hadn't had one either. I yeah. kind of, you 
read some of the read descriptions of them, read about what they were doing. And, and so I was out in Colorado uh, in November and tried a number and just fell in love with them too. And that there was a lot of, you know, email commentary back and forth. And it was just, you know, all of a sudden, you know, the wheels started turning and, and you know, we could basically take this idea and twist it a bit and come up with something that, you know, is... You know, I'm excited for when we get to the final form because I think it's going to be delicious and it's going to basically, you know, um, provide a beer that we don't have in the portfolio right now that I think people are going to, you know, really enjoy. And I definitely like, I like the idea of a brewed IPA just from the standpoint of like, I'm not a big fan of super sweet IPAs. Like, you know, hazen and IPAs always tend to be very sweet and uh, it's just not appealing to me. And I like a little bit crisper, drier beer. Yeah, and it gives you that same fruitiness and soft mouthfeel yeah, and but, but it doesn't sacrifice drinkability on like the sure. high 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 finishing yeah. in the same vein as trends we are seeing a trend in the craft industry of people going more towards lagers ales you yourself are brewing a bock i saw yes. Zach, you're excited about that i'm excited as well um are we moving away from a ipa style are you thinking and heading towards more of those drinking style Easier I don't know that beers. it's a whole industry change, but I know that brewers like to drink lager. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> um, it's just, you know, it's much easier to drink a lot of lager than it is to drink, you know, a lot of IPA. But um, I definitely think we are seeing the pendulum swing back a little bit for a lot of people. I think there is some level of hop fatigue that's kind of hitting people. Definitely. Um, at least, you know, from me personally looking around, the people around me. But like, clearly the market's not doing that because IPAs are continuing to, you know, continuing to grow. So is it just more about, like you were saying, having a rounded out portfolio? Well, and I think part of it is there's, you know, more craft um, consumers today. And so there's going to be a wider range of, you know, palettes, um, you know, <clears throat> beers that they appreciate or, you know, um, may gravitate towards. When we opened three years ago, we did have two light offerings, you know, within the first six months. Lin Light was a beer that probably brewed 35 times to, you know, get it to where we wanted to sit. Uh, and this was actually, you know, between 2013 to, you know, 2015, where we were, you know, slightly modifying the pH and the mash, et cetera. Uh, and then we had Pearl right out of the gate, too. Now, we chose to go with, you know, ale yeast right out of the gate just for turn cycle time. We didn't have nearly as many tanks as well. Um, but the whole idea was to, to mimic a lager. So even though, you know, it might be a new on-trend, you know, we had that offering or something similar to it, you know, starting three years ago. Yeah. This is kind of a question for all of you guys. I feel like it's just in the same vein of the idea that more craft brewers are turning to the lagers and more what you might consider non-traditional in the American craft beer industry. Do you guys think that drinkers in response, like your customers, are becoming more open-minded to these styles? Or do you think that people are still kind of stuck in their ways on the IPA front? <laughs> well, I, th I think that lagers are also a great transition beer to get people to drink craft. I mean, mm. if you're, you know, a Budweiser drinker, you're not necessarily going to jump right into IPA. Well, you're not going to. You're not going to jump right into IPAs. <laughs> um, but I think having, you know, that bridge where it's like an all, you know, barley lager, something like that to like give people that transition, be like, oh, you know, there are other, other kind of beers to drink. I think it's a great thing. It's not all like the, the, the idea of like craft beer is heavy or bitter or I mean, when the quote craft beer like revolution happened, it was like every brew pub seemed to have like a blonde ale or a golden ale, sort of like their introductory beer. Mm. But now that there's 7,000 breweries in the country, 
I feel like the idea of like a revolution is gone and the whole idea of like logger is the big bad guy is no longer kind of the idea. Like loggers are starting to be respected by the craft brewing community when before they just associated it with Bud Miller cores. Yeah. Yeah, and, and I mean, too, I mean, we can look at a couple of different things, too. I mean, you've had Shinerbach for a long time, Yingling, I just mentioned. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, there was just a different perception for a long time. If you go back to the, you know, Stroh's 30-pack and, you know, suitcase for a lot of the, you know, domestic commercial beers, their, you know, really their business plan was to make sure that you had a beer that you can consume in volume, uh, low calorie, low alcohol content. And, you know, really what we're solving for is instead of a 30 pack, it might be a four pack, but it's got, you know, um, a, a lot of time, you know, high quality ingredients that, you know, are really going into, you know, that particular product. So it's just been a different approach. And I think there's been more of an education now over the last, you know, 10 years about what, you know, a craft beer is and can be just because of, you know, the number of uh, breweries, brew pubs, et cetera, that have popped up. So maybe it's consumer education. I mean, going off that, I mean, I think that there is sort of a growing appreciation of just traditional, you know, German style brewing or Czech style, you know, lager brewing. And it, it, it is a lot more difficult than people think it is. And I mean, to make such a simple beer, it has to be, you know, flawless. Like you, yeah. any, any flaws in that beer are just going to pop out right at you. Yeah. There's nothing to hide behind yeah. at all. And when you have a three ingredient beer, it's, yeah. yeah. So I think there definitely is a growing appreciation of that traditional brewing style and brewing heritage, I guess. And uh, that's probably us contributing to the lager yeah, swinging back. Brewing's becoming like the tech industry. Everything's ever changing. You know, it's, it seems like it's everything's fast paced. How do you keep up? Is it research? Is it word of mouth? Is it constant both? Yeah, <laughs> lots yeah. of drinking. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean it's deep due diligence, right? It's aggressive, you know, reading and studying. You know, a Good Friday night. Uh, you know, for me, might be, you know, opening up a number of periodicals, everything from American Society of Brewing Chemists to New Brewer to, you know, any other, you know, magazine, um, as well as textbooks, just to kind of even go back and think about beers that are no longer around. I mean, yeah. one of the, you know, my favorites that we brewed is the Kentucky Common. Um, yeah. And so, you know, we actually, well, <clears throat> um, you know, Adam and the team identified, you know, uh, recipes from about the late 1800s. Um, and, you know, growing up in the Ohio River Valley and around that area, it was something that I thought would be, you know, awesome to, to bring back. And so, you know, we had a great beer and it was very different than anything that we had done. I don't know if you want to expand upon that. Uh, that was a little while ago. That that a couple, yeah, it yeah. was. Uh, so basically a Kentucky common beer is similar to like a common beer, like a steam beer. It's a lager used to run at ale temperatures, but they are darker. So it's more of like, you know, a goat color. Quite um, a bit of corn, too. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. corn. Uh, so it definitely gives you a different feel than what you would get off, like, a Anchor Steam or something like that. And then there's also, we didn't do it here, but there's also some that are a little bit sour. So okay. it, it it's a very interesting style that uh, you, no one's making it. So it was kind of cool to, like, really experiment and kind of see what we could, you know, make that was in the same vein of uh, the idea. Yeah, and with all of the, like, old beer styles that are kind of becoming new and popular again, like Goza popping up again and Rauch like, beer. Yeah, Rauch beer and Grudziski and whatnot. Like there are still so many untouched, unexplored, like like Kentucky Common, the Pennsylvania Swanky style with like the licorice root or whatnot. The we were just talking about, about the, the old German beers, the Dampf yeah. beer and mm -hmm. the Munster uh, Alt beer. Like, yeah. There's so much out there that hasn't even been touched that's from even just the last hundred, two hundred years of brewing that 
again, like old things becoming new again, like it, the surface hasn't even been scratched with 75% of the market being IPA right now. It's right. And you yeah. can keep innovating all you want, but like a lot of what people are doing has been done before on some level. And they just don't know that it's been done before. Right. Yeah, well, in our Hefeweizen that we, you know, brewed at uh, a homebrew scale, it was really using rhubarb. Now we're using, you know, different um, uh, <clears throat> adjuncts right now to get that same, you know, flavor, which is just a little bit of tart, but, you know, not quite sour. But, it, you know, it was really tart peaches, you know, tart uh, rhubarb. And rhubarb has been used in brewing for, you know, a very long time. Yeah. You know, one of the things, you know, spruce tips, uh, yeah. ivy, there's a lot of different things that have been around for a long time, but you know, if you bring them into the marketplace, they might be deemed or thought to be new. Yeah, the whole idea of beer brewed with blank is newfangled beer. It's like, not quite. It's been around for a <laughs> I mean, long it, time. Ten thousand years. Someone's probably yeah, put it in the beer already. Put it in there. Whatever it is. And then you know, utilization of hops and yeast. I mean, there's still a ton of work that's being done at Oregon State, just in terms of the properties that come out. If you're putting a, you know, the same hop in the whirlpool, whether you're, you know, basically putting it in the dry hop and how the composition changes. So the permutations are incredibly vast. So I feel like we're just scratching the surface yeah. at this point you can never time. do every possible yeah. combination of yeast and hops and temperature and but yeah. that is good news for the craft beer industry because a lot of people view it as potentially getting saturated you see more and more breweries popping up uh now say what you want about quality you don't have to um but we are seeing more and more breweries pop up how do you guys stay relevant you're the only brewery in Lynn currently yeah you have notch to what your east or west, whatever side it is. You got Mystic, you got Night, Night Shift. Shift. You got a quite quite a bit of breweries in the local area. You guys do something different than everyone else. How do you continue that trend, though? I think it's just a, you know adhering to the plan and and being true to ourselves. Um, <clears throat> um, you know, when I really think about what's available, I want to see the other crapperies be successful. I mean, there's a lot of you know. Um, large you know facilities that are producing beers there's plenty of room for all of us to grow um i think it's really education in the marketplace i'm not too worried about staying relevant there was uh you know when we were getting ready to you know launch the brewery in 2015 somebody said well how can you innovate there's so many breweries out there and you know that's where the first brewery east of the mississippi to ever ferment and condition in a concrete tank out of sonoma valley so you know, that um, there, there's plenty of ways to innovate. Again, I think we're just scratching the surface, but I think if we're constantly just thinking about innovation and, and truly when, you know, others come in, you've seen this across so many other craft breweries. When you come in from in other industries, that's typically when you innovate, right? Speaking of innovation, I will say that one area that you guys really hit home is in this brewing of an untraditional or untraditional in the craft beer industry, basically anything that's not an IPA, and then making it appealing to the consumer who may not have picked it up before. Like the goat was really impressive to us because you guys were kind of playing on like the Tom Brady thing and the packaging was really compelling. But it's a style of beer that most people would be like, oh no, if they knew what it was or if they, you know, had too many biases toward it. So I feel like that's one area that you guys could keep on doing your thing because <laughs> for sure impressive. i mean we actually had, before we released goat this year we had a discussion of whether or not we should make it into a pale lager just to kind of go with what you know what you would want to tr traditionally you drink during expect, a, it yeah, to be, expect yeah. a drink during a football game mm -hmm. and i'm glad we didn't because i think you know this year's goat is fantastic yeah, and it's I think, great and it 
just a little more consistent than last year. It's been. And it's not it's not quite like it's not quite so much tricking people into drinking something they wouldn't normally drink, but it's like it's kind of easing them into something that's like it's it's very similar to what you're expecting it to be, but it's maybe something a little different and you might like it. But it's in a just similar, get over the yeah, color. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Drink it out of the can the first time, maybe you realize you really like it, and then look and say, Oh, that's kinda like it's amber red. It's like well, because the one thing that I was just impressed by with the GOAT is the play on the Tom Brady, because I think you're getting at this really wide audience mm-hmm. of people who are probably just used to drinking, like, their Millers, their Coors, their Buds, and you're kind of saying, like, hey, this might be kind of similar to what you're used to, but maybe with some flair to it. Right. And I actually shared it with a coworker recently who was a Pats fan, but who also drank Bud Light and was really impressed and was like, is this a Bach for real? It's awesome. Was it tough being an Ohio State guy <laughs> uh having a michigan guy on your can <laughs> uh, uh no because we still beat michigan this year okay there we go that's a good answer every time you beat michigan <laughs> i know really um for those who don't just do some college football history and you'll figure it out <laughs> um let's talk about the you said the uh, concrete fermenter is what you yeah. have here let's talk about that nobody else is doing that um well, let's talk about the whole <clears throat> setup in the in the brewery well, there's actually other breweries that are starting to do it. I think Russian River has just put an order in for some. Uh, you know, Hair of the Dog has one. Uh, Tired Hands out of Pennsylvania. So there's definitely... But those aren't your mom and pop. Right. Oh, and neither no. are you Correct. guys. Yeah. So I'm saying those are pretty big breweries. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, so the genesis of this was um, the, the tank was actually worked on by a biochemist. Um, they provide, you know, concrete tanks to the wine industry. So we just sat down at uh, CBC in 20, that must have been 2015, uh, 14 or 15, one of the two. And actually it was 2015 because there was a red concrete tank there from uh, Sonoma Cast Stone that was going to air the dog. And um, so we're just talking about the properties. I mean, a lot of it's new. I mean, I remember when I said, so, you know, how should we use this? And he's like, well, that's what you, you know, you need to figure out. Yep. But there are some properties you'll get, you know, some sulfur, some calcium. So there's certainly some styles that work really well. There's some styles that don't work well. Um, but I, I, again, I think it's, uh, if we go back historically, you know, stone was used as a vessel and, uh, and clay, et cetera. So this is a little bit more controlled uh, and we actually you know, can temperature control it. So it's kind of uh, you know, bringing uh, something that's a very old and traditional kind of with uh, you know, new age technology and uh, gives us just a different canvas to work off of. What about the concrete makes it, well, you're saying that it's like you can control the temperature and it's kind of this ancient technique. What got you the idea to do it in the first place? It was this meeting at CBC? Yeah, I mean, that, that was it. And I would say that, you know, I was influenced by having a scientist there yeah. uh, to really start, you know, talking about, you know, different properties that could come through the, you know, the shape of the tank that you might get better, you know, temperature distribution, the reason why it's the size that it is, et cetera. So, you know, that had a material impact on the way I thought about, you know, taking a risk on something that, you know, isn't cheap, but we've never used and not many other people have used. At the time that we, you know, picked ours up, I think we were maybe the third or fourth brewery in the country mm-hmm. um, that had tanks from Sonoma Castone. I'm not, you know, and that's, you know, what I know of. There might be other, you know, um, <clears throat> breweries that had something, you know, similar to it. But in terms of, you know, this particular style was, you know, in- incredibly new, but, you know, they've actually had um, some, 
you know, namesake breweries, you know, pick, uh, you know, a few tanks up this year. So, you know, see what happens over the next couple of years. So a little bit about that meeting at CBC, you were saying that you got some advice. Are there any other craft breweries or people in the craft industry that you guys have leaned on along the way for advice or got feedback from, or do you guys provide feedback to other breweries? Like, what does that look like? Who wants to go first? (laughs) (laughs) Um, I mean, me personally, uh, one of my good friends is a brewer. He was at Castle Island for a period of time, and now he's actually in a brew pub up in New Hampshire. And uh, we talk back and forth pretty regularly about things. It wouldn't be Hector from Castle. No. I was going to be upset. It's like, oh, no. No, it's not. No. I'm glad. So, I mean, we talk pretty regularly about things, uh, and people... Our wives complain whenever we hang out. It's all we ever talk about is brewing. But, um, that's for me is probably the major person I talk to besides the people I work with um, about things like this. But I, you know, you meet people at festivals, you meet people at you know, conventions and things, uh, conferences like that. And so you you have people you can talk to, shoot a text, ask a question about you know whatever. Um, it's, a, it's a community that's really definitely very free with information because a lot of us are kind of we deal with you know we're dealing with yeast and things that sometimes you push all the right buttons and mario still jumps in the hole so you kind of have to have other people in the industry that you can lean on and say like hey man such and such happened can you troubleshoot this with me and like mine have definitely been obviously like chris loring from notch and uh nate heck who's a good friend of mine who taught me basically everything i know about brewing was ex john harvard's from years and years ago and worked for harpoon for a long time And, you know, the way I approached it was I really sought out, you know, advice and would ask for introductions and, you know, would take day trips to, you know, a lot of different breweries to get feedback. Probably one of the, you know, I don't know, it's one of my, the most special days that I had was actually DC Bra, uh, probably in 2013. And, you know, they were relatively young then. The reason we're in you know, a business park is because that's where they're located and they were able to take one unit at a time and, and, uh, they, you know, have the, the, the whole, um, layout right now and they've, you know, been wildly successful, but, you know, it's, you know, everybody from them to, you know, folks at Funky Buddha, you know, it's, everybody's been willing to, you know, share time and, and it's engineers, um, it's, you know, sales reps, it's, you know, every element of the, of the, the business, um, you know, different suppliers and, but I think, you know, what has differentiated the conversation is coming prepared with the questions that we believed were very critical to try to understand so that we could basically answer that and kind of move on to the next point in the decision tree so that we could try to, you know, basically <clears throat> understand exactly what we were getting into, um, understanding the risk that we were going to, to face uh, and then also that we, you know, we're starting with a size that was meaningful, but not too big, uh, that, you know, suited us well. Um, and so, but that, that's the one commonality is that everybody's been incredibly free with their time and, and willing to share information, which is, you know, that's, that's one thing that's incredibly unique about this industry. Awesome industry to be a part of, even as someone who's a podcaster, for you guys to spend your Monday evening just to do this, we appreciate it. And we appreciate anyone that comes on. But let's talk a little bit about the present right now. How many beers do you guys have on tap and in rotation? So right now it's 14 on tap. 13? 13? 13. 13. Nitro right now. No nitro right now. Oh, okay. So 13. 13 on tap right now. Um, regular distribution, I think we have 
six. Yeah, and and right it's now. you know there's some fluctuation in what's available because we're capacity constraint. Mm -hmm. um, so which is a good for problem. the moment. Yeah. yeah, for the moment. For the moment. <laughs> Until we get our new tanks online, yeah. we're sort of yeah. So right in the line, pretty. You close. know, by March we should have um, the new facility. You know, close by. You know, up and running, and um, then we'll deconstruct the current brewery and uh, put in a larger brew house as well. Um, we can go into to more details on that. But, yeah. But, you know, certainly the goal at that point in time is to really expand, expand the uh, portfolio. At times, we've been limited to really Thunderfunk, Sluice, and that was about it for a couple yeah, of months it. this year. Yeah. about those beers? People <laughs> want them. <laughs> yeah, no, I, was, IPAs. I was pumped when I saw Jolene again. I was like, yes. <laughs> Love Jolene. Yeah. Um, can we talk about, like, just the quality that you – I mean, like, really – what goes into it? is it the water or is it just attention to detail i think it's everything mm -hmm. right um it's all important i mean if you you know turn around and take a look at you know that particular machine on uh on <clears throat> the uh on the bar you know that allows us to measure our you know seams you know down to one two one thousandths of an inch um <clears throat> you know to the spectrophotometer in the lab and then also uh, basically, the head of QAQC came out of Shire Pharmaceuticals, so he was in QAQC for seven years. So we take it, you know, incredibly serious. I mean, there's no, you, I mean, there's many, many stories and case studies and in, in the industry of, you know, companies that had, you know, that one bad batch that really started to change the way people, you know, perceived. And right now, there's zero tolerance for that because it's so easy to move on to another brewery. Um, you know, so certainly, you know, water quality is, you know, absolutely one of them, but I think it's really attention to detail, you know, and every, you know, step of, uh, of the process. And we try to set criteria, release criteria that is, you know, reasonable. So we'll go and talk with a, a large brewery that's doing somewhere around 50, uh, to a hundred plus thousand, you know, barrels a year, as well as, uh, folks that are running QAQC at, uh, Anheuser-Busch. But then we have to, you know, uh, come back to reality about what we can actually do, given the, you know, number of individuals we have working here, and then the equipment that we can afford, right? Uh, we can't mimic New Belgium, for example. Um, <clears throat> so it's really attention to detail across the across the board. Um, I don't know if you guys want to add to that. Well, I just think that it's uh, it's fairly unique for a brewery of our size to have a QC dedicated person. Mm. So we have a person on staff whose basically only jobs, you know, do quality checks throughout the day, which is, I think, a big factor in why our beer ends up being so consistent. It's a good um, job to have. <laughs> Some days. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. He has a lot of fun in that lab. Yeah. <laughs> I see him in there a lot. So. Um, but then I think also from uh, mine, Zach ends, it's, uh, we do pay a lot of attention. You know, we're very... Uh, focused on making sure that everything is the same every time we brew the beer. Right. And I mean, it, it's, it's almost like a, a challenge to me to like make sure, you know, every time we brew the beer, we're hitting, you know, the same pH, we're hitting yeah. the same final gravity. You know, doing eight turns of Thunderfunk this week, we kind of like made like a little game of it, like yeah. getting it, at, doing the same beer over and over again, like <clears throat> repeatability becomes kind of like a, like really mastering your equipment and being able to turn out the same product over and over again is honestly just as fun and exciting as as good of an indicator of a good brewer as being able to create a new and interesting recipe and a new beer every time but and i think that's a testament to these guys because that's the type of you know brewer that would really succeed here is somebody that is technically oriented and you know 
sees and understands how difficult it is to reproduce beer. Also, we make sure that it's okay that if it doesn't meet our criteria that it can go down the drain. I mean, yep. those are the tough decisions for Brian Ferrazani, who runs the lab, uh, is when you've got a very large tank full of beer, we're capacity constrained, and, you know, but I tell them that it's okay, you know, make the call. It sounds like, you know, there was a, a time this summer where we had two batches that, you know, just something was off and it wasn't, it, it could have probably gone into cans and it would have been fine, but it wouldn't have been exactly the same as the prior batch. And so it was a significant cost, uh, especially finished beer. I mean, it was, you know, all the time, attention, you know, and, and all cost, dry hops, all the dry hops, <laughs> it's yeah. expensive so to sad. make. Um, but you know, we actually sent it down the drain because it didn't meet, uh, it didn't meet our expectations. That's what I was actually about to ask you. Is there a time when, you know, they discovered that something's gone wrong? Like, what does it look like? Is everybody just kind of running around, you know, but you're saying like in that case, you might have to pour it down the drain. Is there some way that you yeah. might be able to save it? Uh, I mean, you can d definitely try, it but at a certain when. point, yeah, it's, I mean, if you, you catch have a certain party with things it or? early enough. Try it out, and I mean, yeah. I mean, I, the, I think the most recent batches that we had to dump was a batch of Thunderfunk. Oh, yeah, the, the glycol. Yeah, the glycol system. Uh, we lost power, so we didn't have any temperature control in the fermentation. So it's it was like fermenting in the nineties, mm -hmm. and it's just just not good. So like that yeah. thing, they didn't have a dry hop in us. So we just like, oh, that's bad fermentation. Just dumped it. And um, so in response to that too, so another individual that works here is Jerry Anderson. He's uh, brought, you know, global manufacturing plants online. He went into retirement for about two weeks and then is working at, <laughs> at Pentwater. Get, get a hobby. <laughs> so what we've done is we've worked with, um, you know, obviously there's a ton of tech companies and, and a lot of, you know, really intelligent people, uh, you know, around the area. So we partner with another group and we're actually have created new temperature control systems where the, you know, energy is basically sitting at the tank and it's actually pushing information back to the central control versus instead of, you know, basically pulling it out. And we've got basically lithium batteries in this uh, new system. Uh, we'll, you know, we're actually doing a few other things that are unique. We'll probably file a patent on it and make it available to the industry through this, uh, uh, through this other outside group. But we've basically taken that problem and we've, you know, again, you know, made lemonade out of, uh, you know, a, a bad situation by coming up with a better solution that, you know, it's, it's, it's there at large breweries, but it's not available in a cost effective, you know, manner uh, to breweries of our size. So we've spent the time, made the investment to do all the programming, uh, build all the systems, work with all the third party OEMs to make sure that we could produce a system that would actually, you know, overcome that problem in the future. That's fascinating. You guys found a way to kind of automate the process a little bit. Or control it. You right. know, you know, what we want to have is basically a distribution curve around every, you know, day and moment for every beer. And so we can determine what's right and what's wrong. Um, and, you know, that's uh, just data capture and things of that sort. So it just makes the job easier because. Yeah, I mean, in the earlier, the earlier you can figure out something wrong with the beer, the better. Because then, you know, if it's two days into fermentation and you know something is wrong, yeah. you can dump it and then rebrew it. You don't lose a lot of time. You know, if it's you know, two and a half weeks down the line and it's getting ready to package and you're like, oh, uh-oh. <laughs> and then, you know, you just lost that two weeks and now, you know, you have customers who are expecting a product and you don't have it now. Right. I was going to ask, like, at what stages are you testing? Is it end-to-end? Oh, okay. -end? Every, every day. Every day. <laughs> every day. Every process, every yep. step. Yeah. Yeah. So you've been teasing it. What's next for Bentwater? 
so so what's next is um, so what we have right now is a two kettle fifteen barrel brew house uh, made by Mike Mark's Design and Metalworks. So they make um, uh, it's U.S. source steel, you know, made out in um, <clears throat> or yeah in in Washington, and they provide you know a lot of uh, brewery equipment in uh, Oregon all the way down to the West Coast. Uh, you know, Ballast, uh, Ballast Point, Anderson Valley, Stone, you know, many others. So, Jack Sabby has some other tanks. Yep. Yeah, so, so yep. really high-quality equipment. Um, you know, the story of that was uh, my wife actually set up a meeting for me to go meet with them when I was at CBC, and I think 15 was when it was out in, in uh, maybe uh, Portland, Oregon. But they had 750-barrel uh, fermenters that were going down the highway. There were 16 of them, I believe, that were made for Ballast Point. So these things were huge. I was there when one of them was loaded on the truck, but the first time they sent one down uh, the road, I, apparently there was a bridge that was mismarked in terms of its height. And so basically the tank, you know, the truck went through and the tank hit the uh, the bridge. Um, there was more damage to the bridge than there was the tank. Oh, okay. And that's when I said, okay, sign, sign, sign me up. Good. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's and, like the best <clears throat> piece of advertisement right there. <laughs> yeah. And so, so basically what we're putting in is, uh, so we have a new building that uh, is, you know, fully constructed right now. Uh, basically the fit out is, you know, occurring right now. Uh, to start, we'll have 620 barrel fermenters from Marks. Uh, we'll have 320 barrel brights. Uh, new canning line from ABE, which is about three times faster than ours. That's been the, the big bottleneck for us. Um, we'll what are you guys able, canning with right now? Uh, we're canning with ABE as well. Yeah, okay. Uh, just, you know, basically have a new system that with a number of different improvements, you know, um, a higher sensitivity in terms of how we can spec it in. What about um, the option for tall boys or 16 ounce? Yeah, so uh, this new system has the ability to switch back and forth okay. and um, uh, has a different PLC so we can kind of dial things in automatically. We put in a water treatment system as well uh, from Clear Blue so that we can basically get to the point where we're sitting water down the drain in the same form that we got it in. Um, awesome. Just thought that that was the the right thing to do. Um, <clears throat> you know, new glycol chiller that's you know huge, uh, uh, a dual bo boiler system. Uh, what will happen is when that line uh, comes on and that facility is complete, there's a, another lab, more offices, etc. Then we'll give ourselves about ten days to deconstruct the uh, brewery here move this line out, move all the tanks out, move the brew house out, and then put a uh, three kettle, 30 barrel system in from Marks. And that is incredibly dialed in. Uh, it'll give us a lot of flexibility. Um, it's, uh, you know, I, I would say in terms of the options that are available, you know, we've got, you know, a lot of the, the options that one can get, especially for a 30 barrel, you know, brew house. Uh, so, you know, that'll come on after, we you know complete that uh, that expansion. Will that be more experimental stuff that you guys are going to be doing in that or no no so that addition? that so this will be you know we'll be able to put out uh, in the same amount of time two and a half you know times more yep. uh, uh, you know the theoretically just because we've oversized certain valves uh, uh, <clears throat> pipes etc. So we'll basically this fifteen barrel will go away. Uh, it'll go back to marks get repurposed. We'll keep the three and a half barrel for pilot work. Mm -hmm. um, we'll still have. You know, all of the, you know, basically the homebrew uh, equipment that, you know, we could do 15 and 30 gallons on um, and and have a few more, you know, offerings there because it'll be important to scale up given the size. But, uh, 
you know, it'll just make life a lot easier for the team. Uh, and it'll give us, you know, the ability to capture data on a real-time basis regularly and uh, just maintain, you know, quality and consistency to an even higher degree. What's the end of uh, the estimated completion for this? So the uh, new building um, is, is complete. The tanks are sitting in there. Uh, we should have everything online within March at, uh, you know, with uh, the issues with National Grid in terms of, you know, staffing, that's had some complexity, uh, you know, to, you know, our, our delivery date for, for that building. And then, you know, then we'll choose, we'll get everything dialed in there. <clears throat> and then we'll choose the right time to actually put the brew house in. So, you know, Mark's is fine with, you know, keeping our, you know, equipment out on the West Coast till we're ready for it. But, you know, when we feel, you know, the time is right that we can execute this, because it is not a trivial situation to deconstruct this and basically rebuild it in 10 days and have it online fully functioning. So um, when we, when I built uh, the brewery that you're in right now, we went from ground to glass in 12 weeks. It's probably one of the faster builds that I've ever heard for, of in uh, for a brewery. So we're basically, you know, going to be able to, you know, work under a very tight time frame, pretty much around the clock to get that achieved. It's basically after the close on Friday, <clears throat> between Friday to the, you know, kind of following Monday, that's the time frame to deconstruct and basically get everything back online. So not a not a small feat. Absolutely not. Uh Good luck with that. Thank you. <laughs> we're we're, we're going to need, need it, it, I think. I'm glad I, I don't work for you guys right now. <laughs> um, this is my favorite part of the podcast. Kind of get to know you. These are like the goofier questions. But um, the first one I'm going to ask is, talk about the first moment that you saw your brand in a, in a store or someone wearing your gear and what that felt like. Yeah, that was, uh, you know, awesome. It was actually a picture that came over from uh, Shubies and, and Marblehead. Uh, and uh, they just have a good relationship with one of our other co-founders, which is Chris Crawford, that, that runs sales. And so if I go back to 2015, so I've, mel I've had melanoma six times, two times invasive. So um, I was actually in a, I don't, in 2015, we had the real bad snowstorms, if you recall. Oh, yeah. And so um, I had been diagnosed again with invasive melanoma in January of that year. So after that happened, you know, it really puts... The reason we run hard is because really for me, time is of the essence, right? If you want to basically get a, a, <clears throat> a goal achieved, you need to, to move as fast as you possibly can because you just never know when anything's going to happen. So um, because the weather was bad, um, I drove myself down to, to MGH and, um, you know, went ahead and had the surgery. You know, um, I, I should have probably had a driver back, but, you know, told him I would be fine. Um, and uh, so as I, you know, got into the Jeep, I called Nick Menino, who is um, uh, basically now a partner, but he happened to be a, a fraternity brother, uh, you know, as well. And I asked him if we could do it, you know, basically strike a gentleman's deal and had about, you know, 30 minutes. Um, <clears throat> and so, you know, and I'm, I'm abbreviating the, the story, but between the drive there and home, you know, we basically, we, we had already spoken a number of times, but I said I wanted to put a brewery in your business park. And uh, so we basically made an agreement. Um, we actually didn't get the lease done until I actually absolutely needed it for the, the TTB. And even though we had, you know, work well underway, um, but I remember calling the guys and saying, like, this is the year. We're either doing it or we're never going to do it. And so this is going to happen. We're going to launch this year. 
So that was in February of 15. You know, we didn't have drawings. Uh, we didn't have subcontractors. We didn't have equipment. Um, we had nothing. But I was able to, you know, work and, and actually meet lead times on, you know, tanks and equipment. If you remember, too, some places were stating that there was a year lead time on tanks uh, being fabricated. But Marks was kind enough to find a, a spot to get us fit in and, uh, and you know, basically you know, just really studied uh, every detail. Every Tuesday, we had a three-hour meeting going over the blueprints with all the subcontractors to the point where they actually just had it memorized and were like, why are we doing this? And it became second nature because when we actually came across issues, they could address that, but everything else was still moving very effectively. And that's how we were able to go from, you know, really dirt, to, you know, ground to glass in, in 12 weeks. You know, I brewed the first beer on November 16th. And uh, uh, that was fermenting. Nobody was here. Then everybody flew back on December 1st uh, to get the canning line up and running. And we, you know, so now we had 150 cases of viscous. What are we going to do with it? We're like, well, instead of launching in January, might as well launch now. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, you know, I was so caught up in the moment that I didn't even, you know, think about what was occurring. And then all of a sudden, you know, that text came across. I'm like, wow, did it. Yeah, it's real. And then the other moment was, uh, so, um, you know, I'm positive that Bill would have given a lot of advice and helped out, um, you know, had I told him. But the other moment was in, I wanted to make sure that we got launched and this was actually going to be successful. So I called him up in, in February and I said, do you remember 2015 or uh, 2005, you know, when you brought all the kegs and you remember that moment? We were up till like four in the morning, I think, and, you know, with all these guys. And so... You know, I told him that that was basically the, the catalyst for me that got me on this path. And, you know, so um, that, uh, you know, he had really been my inspiration for Bentwater. And so when I called him and told him and he's like, you know, it made his day. Um, but it was it was nice to be able to say that, you know, achieve the goal and got out of the gates. And, and now, you know, I, I, to me, it still feels fragile, even though it's three years young. Um, and or three years old, depending upon how you look at it. But it's, uh, you know, I think we've done a, a pretty good job in, in, in really getting into the marketplace and, and building a solid brand. Well, I've had, I've worked at a couple of different breweries. I've had different experiences seeing, you know, beer that I've had a hand in on the shelf. Um, but for here, I remember uh, they, you know, they launched, he was brewing in November. I came on in March of uh, 16. Um, but I remember going into Vin and Liquors in Salem or Salem Scott, I think it's yeah, Salem Scott. Um, and you know, just walking the back shelf, uh, back case there, and seeing you know, Viscous, Thunderfunk, you know, Linlight, Pearl, just in the case. I was like, wow, like, you know, I made that beer, <laughs> which I thought was really cool. But uh, when I was working at Newburyport, I was working on the canning line, and I remember you know, canning with Greenhead or Meltway IPA or whatever it was, and then just you know, walking into a liquor store and being like. Looking at the data and it'd be like, yep, I can that one. <laughs> that looks like a good one. That's, I don't, that was a good batch, though. But it's always exciting to see, you know, something that it is like, well, it's a creative process. So, you know, it's like seeing art on the wall that you made. It's, it's cool. Very cool. Yeah. For me, it was leaving here in my Bentwater gear and going to work at Craft Beer Cellar and seeing someone picking up Bentwater off the shelf and coming to buy it and saying, oh, you're wearing the shirt. I'm like, yeah, I was was there six hours ago putting that beer in the can so you know it's fresh. It's, yeah. That's awesome. So one piece that I didn't get the chance to ask you guys about, but I'll ask you now, is just around naming your actual beers. What's the process for that? Is there a kind of theme that you're trying to go for? Do you guys just take it to a whiteboard? And 
I have a very long running list of names. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> just like m- much time. M- yes, I, <laughs> yeah. I just basically whenever like for me personally, whenever I hear something that I you know think sounds cool, or I just write it down. Something and that then, strikes uh, a particular. Yeah. And then from there, I guess it just becomes like people just throwing out names, coming up like what sounds like it'll work for this, what'll work for this, and then eventually just kind of. It seems like it's just like, well, we need a name because we need labels, so <laughs> someone picks something. Yeah, and it becomes a matter of either like you say, oh, such and such would be a really good beer name, and then you f- find the beer that that's going to be for one day, or you have a yeah. beer that's done, like, oh, well, uh, what's it like? Let's <clears throat> brainstorm, let's throw some stuff at the wall and see what sticks. Mm-hmm. And yeah. just got the final call. Well, it's well, it's it's probably as varied as the, the styles and individuals that, that work here. I mean, you know, relic. To- so, before this all came about, um, we had annual tastings um, where I would have you know fifteen different beers and tasting notes and things of that sort, and they would get named. and And you know, some of those names would work in a commercial setting; a lot of them wouldn't. Um, <laughs> but you know, relic relic was actually you know one of the names used for the you know imperial stout that had been brewed for you know a very long time. You know, to, you know, Lynn Light was, you know, new and, and really trying to pay homage to the city that's really supported us. Same thing with, you know, Sluice Juice as well, you know, with uh, with Sluice Pond. So it, it's pretty, you know, varied. You know, Thunderfunk doesn't have a history. It was brand new. Just cool and name. it just Sound, really yeah, worked. It sounded cool. Yeah, it just sounded <laughs> cool. Yeah. Uh, in, in the same vein of names, uh, Bent Water, is that a play on a molecule or... Yeah, so water's been at 104.5 yeah. degrees, so it really goes back to the, the science. So I, I actually started conducting research at Ohio State when I was 12 and um, and was in the lab 60 to 80 hours a week, you know, growing up. If I wasn't on the field or playing sports, I was, was in the lab. I had, you know, really, it was really passionate about it. Um, and, and actually brewing, I thought everything was already understood. Uh, when I found out that, you know, you go and try to look at white papers and it's really green field, mm. that's actually what drove me towards the, the industry. So, you know, if you take a look at our, you know, uh, logo, the molecular hop is made of benzene rings, you know, electric is, you know, really paying, you know, homage to, to that field. Um, <clears throat> so in the whole idea was, um, you know, when we were, you know, brewing, uh, so Mike Shaughnessy, who's the other co-founder, he's like, wow, I love the fact that you can, you know, bend this, you know, water into an elixir, you know, a beer. And uh, and that's really kind of, you know, was the, the beginnings of, of the idea. And it worked, you know, very well for us and really paid tribute to science background. A lot of the, you know, folks that, that work here, you know, one way or another, they love science. Any plan B names? Uh, plan B, no, kind of approached it. Um, I think we had, you know, we had looked at some local names too. Um, and you know, some of them were actually, you know, taken. So we had a short list. Uh, Bentwater wasn't the first to to be honest. Um, what was the first? Um, so, um, I believe, so so one of the names that it was thrown around just to kind of, um, play to the industrial side of of the city was Tarbox, and that's actually a, a name that has been it's a family name that's been around and i believe there's uh basically what it was i think there was a very small brewery that was trying to get off the ground that was Tarbox brewing and so you know we actually instead of 
and it, we looked at a lot of you know different names and explored a lot of different ideas, but you know Bentwater seemed to you know really speak to us and our background the most. And uh, when we really brought it up, we're like, oh, it fits really well. Rolls off the tongue a little bit better in my opinion. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. So, what are you guys drinking at home? What's in your fridge at home? Mm, let's see. Uh, I've definitely got a lot of goat in the fridge yeah, right now. That. I think I got some fat tire in there. Uh, Red oh, tape logger. Jack Daddy. Oh, I was going to say, I got, <laughs> I got post-shift pills for, for snow shoveling. Yep, that was crucial. That's a good one. Yeah. Um, probably some PBRs knocking around in there. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, for me, it's a lot of sluice, thunder. Um, and then, you know, some... Uh, listen, there's a lot of fantastic breweries, and you know, I'd you know, try to support as many as I possibly can. But yeah. You can only drink so many so many hours in the day and calories one can That's afford. Right. Before, yeah. You mentioned PBR. Is there a guilty pleasure beer that you guys have? Banquet beer, Coors Light. <laughs> you know what? Um, I used to, right? And, and I think now, I, I literally, I drink our beer the vast majority of the time. Um, and I don't, you know, I, I absolutely love it. So if there's, you know, I do like to drink, you know, Shinerbach every once in a while for nostalgia. Yeah, I love Shinerbach. Uh, you know. It's um, not even a guilty pleasure. But it's not really yeah. guilty. It's, it's like it's not a, really a guilty yeah, pleasure, I just, though. Yeah, I just know it's not a guilty thing. It's like, you're not, you're proud of it. You're it's. I mean, you know, there's the business side of it, but at the same time, I mean, I mean that it, it's, from a it's exactly what it's supposed to be. It's a beautiful beer. I mean, yeah, it's you know, I'll drink, um, you know, Coors Light every once in a while. Um, and that that's that was the other after Joe Bell kind of went away, Coors Light became the family, you know, beer. I think. Um, yeah. All right, Emily, do you have anything else? Yeah, so we ask everybody at the end of the podcast, what is your proudest moment so far? It can be in life. It could be at Bentwater. It's really up to you. Ooh, big question. That is a really big question. Proudest moment. I mean, my wife would probably want me to say, the day we got married. I like that. <laughs> we'll go with that one. Perfect. Um, but I, I see another proud thing for me is uh, my wife and I own a house and then... Um, and, you know, Lynn is being revitalized a little bit. You know, it's on its way back up. I know it has a really poor reputation, but, you know, it, to me it was important to live here as well as work here. Um, so I, I guess that's a pretty proud moment is when we bought a house in Lynn. Yeah, for me, I mean, it was really uh, birth of my children, wedding day. Um, probably p- proudest moment for the brewery. There, I mean, there's been quite a few. I mean, honestly, when, you know, Adam was buying a house and then, you know, Danny bought his house and realized that, you know, we're providing a vehicle for others to, you know, improve their life. And and we also believe that everybody should, you know, who's been here for a while and is dedicated to, you know, the the mission and cause, you know, get a little piece of the company. I think that's the, the right way to help, you know, build a team. So, so that's great. I mean, we've also suffered some, you know, big setbacks too. Uh, you know, we had a flood twice in 10 months and, you know, but the first time that, you know, after I was the first guy in the business park to come and make sure that the electric was shut off and things of that sort wasn't trivial to shut down tanks, but to see 45 people show up to help you out over the course of the weekend and we powered through what most people would give up on and we were back up and running by, you know, basically the following Monday. 
Um, so that was a, a you know pretty proud moment. You know, and I also think too, you know, this has done a lot for the city. Um, and I think just because, you know, we have a different uh, soundbite on what you know. Lynn is great; it has been great. Um, and I think you know, there's a lot of upside from here. Um, and you know, I think it's an industrial town, but it has you know a ton of momentum behind it. And seeing you know how some of the people in the city or um, you know, those that, that work for the city or even work for the state, how they get excited about, you know, just a, you know, kind of a something new and exciting, you know, for, for the city. That's been, you know, fantastic as well. Yeah, I mean, just for the city, like with Beyond Walls doing what they're doing town to town yeah, with the huge. lighting and the murals. And I mean, just uh, since we've opened, there's been a, you know, a explosion, it seems like, of, you know, small artisanal shops open up in downtown. I mean, there's a One Mighty Mill it's a flour mill. <laughs> they, you know, they're making flour and making bread in downtown Lynn. And excellent pretzels. Oh, and excellent pretzels. Mm -hmm. You should check them out. Yeah, Zach, what about yourself? Uh, for me, I mean, I definitely got to mimic Aaron. Say, uh, my, my daughter's 14 months old, so the fact that she's, like, even real is still incredible to me. Um, but with, with the company and within, within beer, I mean, even I was before coming into work for a shift here one day, uh, I was with my daughter and my partner at... Christopher's Cafe uh, over on the Swamps Getting Lynn line. And I had my Bentwater Carhartt on. And uh, as we were leaving, a couple of older gentlemen, probably in their 70s, came up to me and were talking about how great Bentwater's been for the city and how they come with their group of older gentlemen friends all the time and come and sit at the bar. And that, that was very cool to me that it was like, I, I had lived in Lynn for a little while and I love this town. I always have. And I don't get the bad reputation, honestly, at all because every town has some less desirable parts and has some great things about it and kind of makes up a part of the whole. But it was cool that someone who had lived in this town for their entire life was excited about what we were doing here and what we were doing for the town and providing something that had never been here before and that they were able to appreciate it was awesome. Those are all phenomenal answers. Thanks for sharing that with us. Before we go, where can we find you guys locally? Everywhere. General location, like where we are, Everywhere. social media. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so um, if you actually go to bentwaterbrewing.com and go to, you know, where we're located, uh, there's a map there. We're in, you know, um, <clears throat> since we're off-season and a lot of the places on the water aren't open, we're in about 680 locations right now That's that's currently active, and that goes up to the 700s when, you know, the spring turns. And, uh, you know, we're con con continuing to, to push hard. We had to stop opening accounts um, just because of capacity constraints. So that will, you know, expand. But, you know, if you th – there's some breweries that have done a fantastic job making sure that they took care of their backyard. Uh, and, you know, they're in 90% of the locations, so everybody can easily, you know, access the beer. So, you know, our goal is to be at that 80 90%, you know, of all spots that can sell beer, you know, have us as a, a choice and then, you know, make sure that we're putting liquid that's desirable so that people actually, you know, want it. So um, I think we have to be able to do that uh, to be able to, to grow and expand um, with, with some level of confidence that, you know, we're not just fooling ourselves about what the demand looks like. So, you know, start small and, you know, we do have big aspirations though long term. But you can also find us at our tap room. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, we're located in Lynn, obviously, 180 Commercial Street. 
Um, it's a little hard to find, but we're in the Pet Express business park. So if you see Pet Express, turn, and we're all the way in the back. So you can see the neon sign yeah. outside. <laughs> very, very lit up and very obvious. Yes. And are you guys on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook? We are, yeah. Uh, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, Bentwater Brewing. Uh, Robin's always posting things, posting stories, what's coming up, what's coming out, what events we have going on. That's great. And um, we also have a newsletter you can sign up for. It gets sent out once a week. Yes. Oh, and SMS texting. What number do you uh, text to? Uh, so <laughs> you can text beer, actually. So you can text beer to 57682, and then you'll get on our SMS text list. So text beer to 57682, and then you'll automatically be signed up to only get one text a week but it has the highlights of what's going on in the tap room and what we're releasing. That's awesome. You guys are the first brewery we've ever talked to that does text updates. This is great. I would actually check my texts over my email newsletter, so that's pretty cool. 98.7% of people do. It, so yeah, I was like, I know he's got data. You'll have to include a Brewer's episode dropping on that text service, too, I'm sure. <laughs> Cool. Well, thank you guys so much for taking the time out. Like I said, it is literally the coldest day out. I looked at my phone. It's two degrees out. So let's get home. Let's enjoy a beer and get warm. And let's hope that we talk to you guys again in a year because well, I can't yes. wait to see where you're at. Well, and thank you for coming out, too, especially in this cold weather. It's a, you know, brisk, brisk night. So I appreciate that you have a ton of breweries that you could talk to. So we really do appreciate that you chose to come and spend some time with us. Yeah. Thank you Thanks very much. Thank Cheers. You. Cheers.